You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, if you live through the 70s, now I went to college, I started the College of the Bible in 1973. And it was a four year full time course. And in those days, it was a living experience. There were about uh, nearly 60 members of the College of the Bible in the period that I was going through. And we, the bulk of us lived on campus. It was real communal life. You learned a lot about leading a church because you were living together and all the dynamics that you'd expect of a community. It was fantastic. Now, if you, didn't, if you lived through the 70s, you'll know they were a very colourful era. And if you didn't live through the 70s, you probably have heard that there was a very colourful era. For instance, in the world of fashion, some of the main colours were pink, Yellow, musk, and that was just the guys. Um, it was a pretty scary time, and so those uh, <laughs> they got the colours right: pink, yellow, and musk, right there. So, <laughs> oh, it'll be that way again. Wow, wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, skirts are a little shorter. That was okay. That wasn't being radical. That's exactly how everybody else wore their skirts. So that's the year I ended college. Okay. And it was a very exciting time for us. And then on the night of my graduation, in November 1976, we had an after-graduation party at my parents' home. And uh, that's, that was me on the night of my graduation. Uh, I'd toned the suit down, back to grey, but uh, retaining my yellow shirt, which I realised went with my mother's dress and with the wallpaper, and it was, it was fantastic. Oh, look, you know, those things, you had to get it right. You know, I mean, gosh... There were people with cameras and that. You had to get it right, you know. So, now guys, look, I can recall, you know, look, I can recall how excited I was on that graduation night. The graduation was held in a uh, big hall in Hawthorne, the suburb of Hawthorne in Melbourne. And uh, there were a thousand people there. That's how they used to do graduations at the College of the Bible. They were a big deal, big deal for the whole of the Victorian conference. And um, my family was there, a lot of friends uh, I was rapt to see that uh, a very strong lineup was there from my little student church. I'd ministered in the one church for three of the four years of my training. It was the Noble Park Church of Christ, if you know Melbourne, near, near the Dandenong Ranges there. And they all turned out in force, which was, which was great. And look, I gave the address on the, on the night on behalf of the students, um, particularly the exit students. It was a great privilege. And then we had the laying on of hands, all the graduates stretched out across the platform and the, you could choose somebody. You, you teed this up weeks before and they came and while you knelt, they laid their hand on your head and there was prayer of ordination. It was a very, very special time. And then as we processed through the vast congregation, because at the end, all the graduate students went through the congregation and moved out and processed out into the foyer where we had, had the greetings and so on. The song, the, the hymn they sang at that time, as some of you have known, mentioned it before, was Be Thou My Vision. And it's still one of my favourite hymns. And on that particular night, one of the verses really struck me. And it's a verse that goes, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, now and always. Now, look, it wasn't as though I was kind of entering the monastery or anything like that. Uh, and I certainly am not... Uh, I'm not uh, Claiming poverty now by any means. But look, at that moment, at that moment, it hit me 
all over again, as it had hit me on other occasions, but really in a strong way, that I had intentionally turned my back on what had once been described as a promising corporate career. Uh, And I'd intentionally made that decision. I'd undergone a four-year training program. And here I was now about to be turned loose on an unsuspecting local church scene. (laughs) Not quite knowing what I was in for. And certainly, to be fair, the churches involved, including Northside, the three churches I've ministered in, in those years, uh, they didn't know quite what they were in for either. And look, friends, as that song rang out, it really spoke to me in a very powerful, almost audible way. God spoke to me through that hymn in an almost audible way. And the question I got was, can you accept a vision from me to build a great church? And I didn't exactly know what great meant whether numerical or whatever, I had a few ideas. But, but that question, can, can you accept a vision to build a great church, a church known for its love and acceptance, a church known for its mission and service, its care and compassion, its evangelism and outreach? Can you do that if I give you the strength? And in an emotion-charged moment, I answered with every fibre of my body, I can, if you will stay with me. I can. Now, let me hasten to say this wasn't an unexpected, out-of-the-blue kind of moment. Okay? I'd given a lot of prayer and a lot of thought to my vision for the Church of Jesus Christ. In fact, it had occupied a heck of a lot of my time during my four years of training. But at this point, on this graduation night, it had all come together. And I had accepted a vision from God. Wow, what does that mean? I... I You can look at a vision and you can define a vision in many different ways. I've tended to compact it down for my simple understanding into something that I think is quite quite manageable. Here it is. What does it mean? What's a vision from God? Look, here it is. A vision from God is an image of a situation or scenario that will facilitate a more powerful and more effective movement of his spirit. It's a vision. In my case, I'm a very visual person. I can see it in my mind, the kind of thing that I'm aiming for. It's a vision of a situation or a scenario that enables God to move more effectively and more powerfully. Look, it's like this. If a church is tired, if it's stayed, if it's living in the past, if there's very little, if any, awareness of the possibilities that are all around it, then that church is stifling the movement of God's spirit. That's just the only way you can put it. If they're oblivious to all the incredible opportunities around them. I mean, there's no transformation happening. There's no renewal. There's no sense of purpose. But if someone comes along or a group of people come along and they get a vision of what's possible, a vision of the changes that need to be implemented, if someone can fire the imagination of the people and lead them into a preferred future where the winds of change blow freely and real needs start to be met, where the good news is presented with clarity and and authenticity. If that starts to happen, then you have a situation where God's spirit is moving much more powerfully and much more effectively. You have the realisation of a vision. Lives are being changed. Lost people are being found. And um, those without hope are are experiencing a saviour. Hurting people are healed. Guilt-ridden people are forgiven. Those rejected and abandoned are finding love. All this is happening when a vision starts to be realised. Now, friends, this was the kind of church I was beginning to envision. 
This was the kind of church I wanted to lead. Saying I can that night was truly a defining moment in every sense of that phrase. And it really has, to a very large extent, shaped who I am as a, as a person, as a pastor, as a leader, as a disciple. I've had the opportunity to reflect on all of this, as you can imagine. And look, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. I would think, somebody said to me, what are you feeling? I've had a number of people say, what are you feeling about now, Graham? And look, I think the dominant emotion, to be honest, is gratitude, with a lot of humility thrown in. But real gratitude, just absolute thanksgiving to God for many reasons. Let me put it this way. In saying I can to God, I'm so thankful that the original call, the original call was loud and clear. I am so thankful for that. I can't put a value on that. It's been a huge factor. It's enabled me to push through the tough times and remain strongly focused at all times. Those of you who know the story, please forgive me. I have shared it before, but many of you haven't heard the fact that one night, not long before I went to college, I prayed through the open window of our, of our home in Aspley, Brisbane, Queensland. I was living with my parents still. And I prayed through an open window because people had been saying to me, Graham, think you ought to think about the ministry. And I was absolutely certain God had called me to the corporate life and I was making my mark there for him. And so I prayed this prayer. Lord, if you, if you want me to be the minister, a minister, then please give me a sign. Show me specifically that's what you want me to do. Anybody pray a prayer like that? <laughs> it's a classic, you know, fleece kind of prayer. Friday night, Saturday morning, in the days of Saturday morning mail delivery. Anybody remember that? The Australia no, PMG, Postmaster General. That's what it was in those days. Saturday morning mail delivery, in the mail, in the post, a letter from Kenmore Christian College, our theological college in Brisbane. Dear Graham, you're among a number of young youth leaders in the greater Brisbane area whom we are inviting to the college for a harvest weekend, their, their title, in which we're going to explain what's involved in training for the ministry. Now, I've had sceptical friends over the years say, oh, yeah, but that was in the post before you started praying. I said, Whoa. I said wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You, you don't know how this works. Like, like friends, you've got to preach. Like, that, that was just, just awe-inspiring. I just yeah, broke down tears, couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. And that, of course, combined with other things and shared a bit last week um, with Bev and her comments on the whole thing as well. Um, Wow. I mean, that's something I've never, ever lost sight of that moment. That was just so powerful. Of course, I didn't go to that college, which disappointed that college, by the way. But uh, uh, some other friends got alongside me and guided me a little further south, uh, which I have no regrets about whatsoever. Well, here's something else. I've not had to journey alone. I'm so thankful for that. I've not had the journey alone. I mean, every leader has periods of loneliness. I mean, it, it can be a lonely job when you're, you're feeling the weight of responsibility and the, the, the weight of the, the task and the vision you've taken on. It can be a lonely experience. But the real joy of leadership is not those moments. The real joy of leadership comes in the opportunities to share the vision. That's the real joy of leadership, to, to, to enlist the support of others, to, to, to paint clear images of a preferred future and inspire and motivate people to move with you toward that preferred future. You look at a study of all the visionary leaders in the Bible. They all went through this process of enlisting support, painting a vision, getting people on board, inspiring, encouraging. Look at all those leaders, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Nehemiah, 
the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, Jesus himself. They all went through these steps as visionary leaders of calling others on board. Effective leaders don't journey alone. They walk with others. Not always ahead, mostly alongside. We can do this together. That's the model I've tried to to put forward. As I, and I praise God for the vast army of people with whom I have had the great privilege of partnering during these nearly 40 years of ministry, from staff members to elders and board members and just to any church member that fulfils any role whatsoever, no matter how humble within the church. It's been an incredible privilege. That's life in the body of Christ. We do it together. That's how it's been. So thankful for that. Here's another thing I'm really thankful for. I've grown and my capacity as a leader has been stretched. I mean, in the face of some of the things I've had to handle, really stretched. But, you know, while many things have changed and changed dramatically over the years, gosh, I look back on, and some of you have been around the place for years, like so many ways we do church differently these days. I look at all the changes. But, you know, one thing hasn't changed. There's one thing in all the years of my ministry that has not changed one bit. That is the number of hours in a day. Was 24, still is 24, will always be 24. But what I do with those 24 hours now, and you think about your own professional and personal development, you know, what I do with those 24 hours now compared to those early days at Brooklyn Park Church of Christ when long-suffering people like Tony and Carol Carr were trying to cope with this young guy straight out of college. Boy, it's so different. So friends, in response to the vision God gave me when I said I can, I have wanted, I've really wanted to become more effective in time management, organisation, delegation, um, decision-making. You know, I've really tried to become more effective in all those areas. Uh, they were leadership characteristics I knew would be very important in building this, this church that God had given me a vision of. And I'm ever thankful for the opportunities that have come my way, both within Australia and overseas, to, to be stretched and to have my capacity increase. But of course, management and leadership growth are one thing. You can get those pretty much in any sphere of life. But there's something very unique, very distinctive about a vision from God. You see, it compels you to become more reliant on God. That's crucial. It, it compels you to become more reliant on God. I love Paul's testimony. Uh, it's here in, uh, in Colossians, chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Um, I identify a lot with, his, with Paul's ministries, one of my heroes of the Bible. And this is what he says in Colossians, chapter 1, 28, 29. He says, So we preach Christ to everyone. With all possible wisdom, we warn and teach them in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature individual in union with Christ. Boy, that's not a bad, a bad mandate for ministry. I'm going to be sharing with some ministers up on the Gold Coast this week. Some young aspiring ministers who are about to step into huge leadership positions, including Sam, who will be part of the seminar. Great privilege this week. And there's a great mandate for ministry, you know, bringing people into God's presence as mature individuals. And then he says, to get this done, I toil and struggle. And this is Paul. To get this done, I toil and struggle. Now, I'll tell you what, if in ministry, if that's where it ends, you are not going to make it. And I've looked at a lot of my colleagues and friends over the years, many of whom have not made the journey as this far because they didn't take the verse any further than this. Get this, this is a recipe for 
disaster. If this is to get this done, I toil and struggle. If it finished there, forget it. But this is what he says. Using the mighty strength which Christ supplies and which is at work in me. Wow. Not about us. Not about our strength. Not about our creativity. You see, friends, the mighty strength which Christ supplies and which is at work in me. Look, there are so many aspects of this work where human strength and ingenuity and creativity can take you so far. And it's not, well, with a bit of diligence and application, it's not that hard. But, and it's a big but, the special touches, the miraculous moments, the amazing turnarounds, the unexpected solutions to problems where you just go, wow, they're all from God. Yeah, that's it. They are all from God. And I thank him daily for the strength that he provides to keep me pressing on. Well, let's do a little review before we close. So in 1976, a young man with a young wife and as it was then a six month old baby, we stepped out of a hall in Hawthorne, Victoria, having responded to the Call of God, can you build a great church? And I said, I can, if you'll, if you'll stay with me. I can accept the vision, Lord, if you will just be my strength. And my question for you this morning, friends, is this, because this is, I want this series to be an opportunity for us to reflect on the defining moments in our lives, all of, all of you. It's not just about Graham Agnew's defining moments. It's, it's helping you identify what have been the defining moments in my life. What has God been saying to me? Have I missed anything? What might he be saying to me in some of the defining moments that are coming up? I'm hoping that people will take these kind of things on board. So my question for you this morning is, what is the vision God has given to you? What is the vision God has given to you? What's he calling you to do to make a difference? That's That's all it's about. What's he calling you to do to make a difference? I know many of you have responded to his call. I know that. And you're finding your mission within your vocation. You're finding it within your community. You're finding it within your family. You're finding it within your training. You're finding it within this church. So many of you, praise God for the the people who are responding to a sense of vision for what God can do through them in this church. It's why we are as we are. And you know, this seeking out a vision from God has nothing to do with age or stage of life. We had another two friends from Brooklyn Park here last week. Some of you met them, John and Jan Adcock. And they're my age. And they went off to Nepal a number of years ago, purely on a social recreational trip, a little bit of trekking and so on, as many do. They were given a vision by God to help a particular Nepalese village. And they were telling us last week over lunch, their next trip back will be their 11th trip since that original journey. They've raised thousands and thousands of dollars for this little village, just a, re- just a retired real estate guy. Now, that wouldn't be everybody's vision, but, but that was, that's their vision, and it's just compelling them, and they're, they're uh, an inspiration to be around. What's your vision? What's God calling you to do to make a difference in the remaining time you've got in your life? In closing, I just want to highlight some of the things we can all expect when we take on a vision from God. There are some things that I've learned over the years. You can expect these things if you take on a vision from God. You see, in saying I can to God, I could never have anticipated a few things. I could never have anticipated the resistance to change would be so strong. Wow. I've always excelled in naivety. And um, in those days... (laughs) 
I was really, I had the, I had the art of naivety really highly developed. I thought every church wanted to grow. I thought every church would kind of welcome a, a new guy out of college with a lot of ideas and let's go for it. I, I found out that wasn't the case. And I can look back and laugh on it now, but, you know, it was, uh, there were some pretty, uh, pretty tricky moments in those early days. Because, you see, if you're going to, if God gives you a vision, and that vision involves a new situation or scenario that's going to make his work more effective, that transition process is inevitably going to mean a lot of changes. Going back to the earlier example that I mentioned of a stayed, stuck-in-the-mud church. So a huge part of my work has been to guide the three only churches that I've ministered in, four and a half years in Brooklyn Park, 17 years at Marion, and now 16 years at Northside, to guide the churches through various stages of change and transition. It's a huge part of leadership. People say, what sort of change are you talking about? I've got no time to go into detail except to say this. And I shared this with the young adults a number of months ago. When I started in ministry, the only source of music in all churches of Christ across Australia was the Churches of Christ hymn book. Who remembers the Church of Christ hymn book? Wonderful, a wonderful document, which hadn't changed in decades. It was the same book that my mother and father had sung from when they were kids. So, you know, that was... So we've gone, we've, in my years of ministry, we've moved from that to this. And uh, boy, thankfully that bridge had been crossed by the time I got here, but I was the one who helped to facilitate that change back in those first two churches. That was pretty challenging. Here's the second thing. I could never have anticipated the barriers to overcome would be so great. You get a vision from God. Gosh, be ready for barriers. Be ready for some real obstacles. This is more than just resistance to change. This is, the, this is getting around the logistical, the legal, the, the practical challenges associated with, with things like implementing programs, uh, designing support structures, setting up systems for ministry, all that sort of thing. I was thinking back this week, you know, prior to coming to Northside, I'd, overview, I'd given oversight to the purchase of five properties, uh, one for parking and f- f- four for ministry. We bought four houses. For, for ministry, three at, at Marion and one at uh, Brooklyn Park. Since coming here, of course, we've moved three times. The third time was back into this new complex, this multi-million dollar complex. And each project has had its own particular challenges and, and obstacles, which have just been darn tough and hard work in some cases. Some of you know Romans 8, one of my favourite chapters of the Bible. Uh, I love that chapter. And there's one particular verse, verse 35. Where, where Paul says, uh, who then can separate us from the love of Christ? I sometimes insert the word vision for my own purposes. You shouldn't adjust scripture, but just for some time. Yeah. Who can separate us from the vision of Christ? And you go through the list. Can trouble do it? Can hardship? Persecution? You go through the whole list and you come to the end. No, in all these things, we have complete victory. Wow. And so I'm praising God today for the fact that we've had victory in all those barriers that have been put forward, which in some cases seemed insurmountable. Here's something else. I couldn't have anticipated the devotion of the people would be so inspiring. Friends, one of the most important motivational factors for me in ministry has been the commitment, the passion of the volunteers and staff around me at any one time. I mean, I've always had a desire to give of my best because I've been aware of the people around me giving of their best, most of them voluntarily. So for me, the one getting paid, I just felt such a strong sense of responsibility and a strong desire to give of my best because so many giving of their best 
purely voluntary. Paul must have had a soft spot for the church in Philippi. And his words kind of reflect what I'm thinking about you guys today. And Paul said this in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. He said, and this is me to you guys and to the other two congregations. I thank my God for you every time I think of you, every time I pray for you all. I pray with joy because of the way in which you've helped me in the work of the gospel from the very first day until now. And so I'm sure God, who began this good work in you, will carry it on until it is finished on the day of Christ Jesus. You are always in my heart. And so it is only right for me to feel as I do about you. For you have all shared with me in this privilege that God has given me. It's fantastic sometimes the way the scriptures express exactly what one is feeling. And that's exactly how I'm feeling this morning. Here's the last thing. I couldn't have anticipated the outcomes for the kingdom would be so amazing. Uh, Friends, I'm not going to go into detail here other than to say I, I stand in awe at the lives that have been impacted, the projects that have been completed, the ministries that have been initiated through the people whom I've had the privilege of leading. Not, not through, but through the people whom I have had the privilege of leading. I can identify very strongly with the writer of the Hebrews at this point. Look what he says. Let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. And so determination, resilience, these are core values to me and to my approach to ministry. Now, here's the question. Where are you today? You might be where I was in 1976 with your whole future ahead of you. What's God saying to you? Are you where he wants you to be? Have you asked that question really, really seriously? Have you really processed what, what that could mean if you really took his vision on board? It could be to stay right where you are. It could be to do something entirely different, which might even scare the pants off you at this point. Maybe you're at my stage of life where I'm now. My next challenge is to seek God's new vision for me. I mean, this represents my stepping out of full-time ministry. Um, as a, as a, a full-time professional minister, I'm stepping out of that. Now, in the weeks that I've got in the second half of the year with some accrued leave, I'm going to have to really sit down with Bev and we're going to have to pray through what is the new vision? Because I don't just want to wither on the vine. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's going to be something, but it's going to be a process. So it's got nothing to do with age or, or stage of life. What might God be saying to you? What's the next defining moment for you in your journey with him to help you respond to the vision that he might give you to make a difference somewhere? Somewhere. Wow. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?